When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth, still the only nationally syndicated show and podcast that deals with issues of aging on every single level and at any age. Uh, no, it is not a show for oldsters and about oldsters only, although there's nothing wrong with that. Today we're going to be talking about this cross-generational learning and what we can learn from each other if we've got the right researcher looking forward to helping us learn better. Now let me unpack that for you. Uh, this show actually may be one of the most practical and useful shows for your own personal life. And yet we're really going to start on a theoretical level. We have today as our guest, Rachel Wu, and I had the pleasure of meeting up with Dr. Wu personally in California. She's a developmental cognitive neuroscientist, and she's going to tell us what that means in a minute. Right now she's investigating learning, how we learn, learning to learn, and the wonderful name of her project is Opal, which I love, Optimizing, Optimizing uh, Learning, Positive Learning for Adults. And I really like that a lot. That the whole idea of optimizing adult learning is really important to me on a practical level. So uh, one of the things I do want to do is, aside from just introducing you, Rachel, because it's be impossible to tell everybody how many grants you've had, how many articles you've written, books, successes. Uh, but I do want you to unpack for us, what is this developmental cognitive neuroscience? What, what does that mean that you are delving into right now? So, yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show, Adrian. Um, so developmental cognitive neuroscience basically is um, how – the brain and our cognitive abilities, you know, our cognition, what we're thinking, stuff like that, how those all change, you know, from infancy to older adulthood. Now, I'm going to just really dive in right right away. We're talking about learning. We're talking about learning to learn. One of the things that when we deal with aging, actual aging over the age of 60 and 70, we're worried about our brain functions, and everybody tells us the same thing. Learn a new skill. Learn to play the piano. Learn a new language. Well, thank you very much. Then the other side <laughs> says, well, you're too old. You can't do it. You don't have the right number of neurons. And then you show up. And this is what fascinated me. You said not only can you learn new skills, but you should learn several of them at the same time. Now, how did you deduce that from your research? Unpack that a little bit for us. So the first idea was, okay, let's see what we give infants and kids. Right, and so one major thing is having some, at least one person around, maybe even multiple people around, who are just willing to help you at any point. Will drop everything just for you, right? Um, that's not something we get as adults. Um, Correct. We don't have that kind of help, right? And so also the other thing that you know, uh, at least kids do is they they have to go to school. They uh, there's a law, right, for them to right. um, be in school, right? And if they're not in school, then they're doing something wrong, right? Well, when, there are, uh, when they are in school, then they are um, taking multiple classes and, you know, different subjects. And maybe they don't like all the subjects, but they're taking, you know, at least five subjects usually, right, maybe up to seven. 
Um, yes. And so there's like a system in place to keep them learning and keep pushing them, you know, um, and all of those things we don't get as adults. So when they say, oh, learn, um, you know, a musical instrument or learn a new language. Okay, well, then you have to go pay for that instructor, right, as an adult. You have to go find yes. one and pay for them. Um, and, and there's no structure in place to support your learning. There's no, no, like, you know, teaching assistant, right, to help you, you know, with your homework or after-school programs to help you with your homework and stuff like that. So you have motivation, you have consistency that's missing as you get older, and yet you're bombarded with almost guilty. It's a little bit like eat right, exercise, and learn a foreign language. All of a sudden you have to build these skills. Now I think what you're looking at, as I understand it, is that the way you learn anything is the way you learn everything. And if you can learn to learn, then this makes things smoother and easier for you. Is that kind of what's going on here with the OPA project? Right, that's that's the basic idea. So um, we actually don't know um, what will be relevant to learn in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, right? And so we also don't know how long we're going to be surviving for, right? So if we yeah. uh, if we don't know what we're supposed to be learning about, at least what we can do to help kind of um, our ability to adapt to you know however the environment changes, um, the thing that we can do is to learn how to learn, and figure out what might actually be relevant at a particular time. So what we're going to do is going to take a little bit of a break and talk about another kind of learning for a minute and some of the books that I want everybody who's uh, listening right now to know about. When we come back from that, I want to talk about the fact that what you're doing, Dr. Wu, may revolutionize the workforce and really make it truly intergenerational. We'll talk about that in a moment, but first, some of the books that I think you should be reading right now if you want to be a successful ager. Aging is trending when it comes to bestsellers. Check out The Longevity Economy by Joseph Coughlin, the director of MIT's Age Lab. The Longevity Economy tells the story behind the goods and services and technology created just for us, like CareBus and, yes, the driverless car. It shows how much we contribute to the GNP, but it also voices a complaint that companies are not making fun stuff for us. Don't treat us like a patient. Treat us like a consumer, says Coughlin. The second book I recommend is Disrupting Aging by Joanne Jenkins, director of the AARP. Ms. Jenkins reviews breakthroughs in workplace diversity, home health, and more generated by our longevity. She asks us all to view aging as a strength, not an inevitable decline, and registers a plea to fight ageism. See you at the bookstore, or better yet, at the library. So, you know, we're speaking here with Dr. Rachel Wu, and she is a developmental cognitive neuroscientist. She is, I want to give you the website. Of course, she's, she's associated with many schools, but right now uh, she's uh, an associate professor at uh, University of California, Riverside, Riverside, California, where I had an opportunity to meet with her. Uh, she's a, she has been a postdoctoral fellow. She's a researcher par excellence. She gets grants where nobody else can find money, but that's another story. And we should do a whole show on that. The fact is that she is the person uh, that deals with how to build skills, how to learn, and how to learn, how to learn. And for and what she's doing is she has a website that's a real hub uh, for not only the professional, but for the layman too, all about the OPAL project on optimizing adult learning, newspaper articles to really academic papers, 
And let me just give that to you. And, of course, as always, we'll have it on our website, generationboldradio.com. So the website is C-A-L-L-A Lab, Calalab.com, C-A-L-L-A-L-A-B.com. So, so Dr. Wu, you, you heard a moment there in that little book report of Jenkins, the ARP director, says we're going to revolutionize the workforce. I don't think we can revolutionize the workforce without you. And I'm being perfectly <laughs> serious about that. It's true. How Look, you have boomers who did not grow up with technology. The next generation that knows technology, as you said, who knows what they're going to have to know? We don't know what they're going to have to know. So how are we going to integrate what you're learning here about learning into workforce education so that we just don't become obsolete? Right. I think the main point is to um, be adaptive, but then also allow for adaptation, which takes time, training, you know, a lot of resources, right? And so, um, so for the employer point of view, there should be a little bit more forgiveness, right, in terms of maybe things take a little bit longer than expected um, or maybe things are a little bit less efficient because you have to be training people or allowing them to, you know, adapt to new circumstances. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, there should be uh, kind of more empowerment with the um, employees um, to feel like they can learn new stuff and, you know, not just be obsolete after a while. What we're going to do when we come back, uh, Dr. Wu, is we're going to talk about what you are finding. And if there's anything or if it's too soon, you'll, you'll, you'll let us know this is the fountain of truth uh, to apply some of the learning how to learn in our own individual life. And if there is, We'd love to have the hints and tips that will make it real difference for us. And perhaps we will be able to be able to play that piano uh, and learn that language and learn how to hula hoop, which is something I had to do, (laughs) uh, because I'd love to be able to apply some of the things you're learning about learning to our own learning. Even those of us who are in the workplace, we certainly can spruce up without waiting for the employer to help us. And for those of you who are in retirement, We always say how busy we are, but we never say how fulfilled we are. And sometimes the things that we may be able to learn that we think we can't are really the fulfilling things that would make a difference in the decades to come. So don't you guys go anywhere. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate. For my age, da 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 da, da 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 da. That doesn't bother me not even a bit, cause I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate. For my age, da 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 da. And hello, 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 this is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bowl, the fountain of truth about aging, aging at any age. And we can prove it because our guest today, Dr. Rachel Wu, uh, who is assistant professor over at University of California, Riverside. I had the pleasure of meeting her, having a really long conversation about learning how to learn, how important it is in older age, how important it is if you're in your peak years and you want to stay that way in the workforce, and how much she is learning from her project, which they have dubbed over there OPAL. I like that name very much. And that is optimizing the potential for adult learning. And she's learning a lot from kids, too. And so there's a real intergenerational cross-pollination here in the research. For those of you who want to know more, please let me uh, uh, 
give you the, and please go ahead and get yourself a pen if you don't have it, old school, new school, put it in your phone. It's Calab, C-A-L-L-A Lab dot com. But as always, uh, this will be archived on our GenerationBowlRadio.com website, and you'll get her website there too. So uh, you'll be able to, to really read about learning if this is something in your life that you feel has been lacking. Everybody's shouting at you to learn more, do more, learn a language, get cognitively fit. But how do you learn? So, so let's ask that, Dr. Willis. Go back to um, things we could do. I mean, now you've been studying this for a very long time, uh, even way before the OPAL project. Is there something practical that you can help us with in increasing our ability to learn? Yeah, so we identified um, six things that you could potentially do. Um, one of them is just being more outside of your comfort zone. If you're if you're constantly sticking within your comfort zone, like maybe doing learning things that you had learned as a kid and you're just picking it up again or, you know, just getting better at stuff you're already kind of good at, that doesn't help you as much as if you're completely outside of your comfort zone and feeling really stupid, you know, when you're learning because you have no idea, you know, where to even begin. Um, those are the, the, um, the types of activities that would probably challenge you the most. Um, but it is difficult, right? And so then the second point is to um, have a lot of help. So from teachers, you know, maybe someone who can be there to guide you, give you kind of um, what my piano teacher calls, um, you know, uh, chewing a piece of tough steak or something, right? So like yes. cut off the steak, right, like little by little, um, and then, you're, you know, you can digest it, chew it, digest it, you know, in, in, um, in a very, um, you know, like – basically a very good, like a decent size, right? And so um, so having someone there to help you break things down, right, would be would be great. Um, third would be actually believing that you can uh, improve, maybe not to some, like, Olympic level or, you know, um, you know, like Carnegie Hall level, right, for music um, uh, performance, but, you know, just, just to be better than you, you know, currently are, right? So just believing that you can actually, you know, get, somewhere um, uh, great with, um, with effort. Uh, so that's growth mindset. And so the fourth would be surrounding yourself with people um, who believe that, you know, you can do it. They don't buy into the stereotypes, the negative stereotypes, you know. Um, and so they're just kind of fostering this encouraging environment. Uh, this could be peers. This could be your family, you know, grandkids, um, things like that. And uh, the fifth is actually kind of important. So a lot of people, I feel like, pick up hobbies for a couple months maybe and then maybe just drop them after a while, especially if they're really difficult um, and especially if, if they don't have someone helping them learn how to do it. Um, but I would say at least stick with it for, you know, um, a year, maybe even two years, and then, you know, chances are you're, you're going to get pretty good at it. Um, and the last would be to learn multiple things simultaneously because the more you – the more skills you're picking up at the same time, it is harder, but at the same time you can then – uh, identify more as a learner as opposed to, oh, I'm just doing this as a side hobby or something. Yeah, you know, when you list those six, the big six, it really stimulates my thinking on so many different levels. First of all, we are ageist. 
Uh, most of my life is really dedicated to stamping out ageism. But a lot of ageism is internal. It's not always the other guy prejudice against you. It's often yourself. And we can often use age as an excuse. Uh, we have learned from every cognitive scientist on this show over five years that the brain is plastic. That means you can add neurons as you add experiences. You can get smarter if you want to put it in the vernacular. If you mm -hmm. underestimate yourself, you'll underestimate everything you do. Second part, as you said, is you've got to surround yourself with the right people. Uh, right. If you're surrounding yourself with only older adults that, are, that think of themselves as a patient, that's what you're going to end up being. So that, that's a real problem that now from a scientific research point of view, we learn inhibits learning. So it's, it's right. really fascinating what you're telling us. We're going to take a very short break. I'm going to tell you something funny. We have a store now. We've never had one before. You have no idea how much new learning and technology that's cost us. Hours and hours. But every time we learn something new about the store that we've put up, I think of you, Dr. Wu. And I say, well, <laughs> wait a minute. We're learning how to learn. So this is not only going to help us with this chore, but it's going to help us with the rest of our successful aging. So let's hear for a minute about the store. Hooray, our Generation Bold store is up and running. Just visit our website, generationboldradio.com, for access to unique products and services like luggage forwarding for your next trip, gorgeous Brazos canes and hiking sticks, Wander Club charms to commemorate your every adventure. I handpicked everything in the store to add fun and ease to your life. It makes a great gift, it's priced right, and is of the finest quality, whatever has been selected. All these items truly enhance my life, and I want you to discover them as well. Visit GenerationBoldRadio.com and see for yourself. I have to tell you something, Dr. Wu. This is like the six steps you've mentioned because even creating a store, uh, from the technology point <laughs> of view, from the marketing, it is so out of my comfort zone. You have mm -hmm. no idea. And yet, and yet, I know I'm doing good. I know I'm bringing yeah. wonderful things to people. So, so let's talk now about how you are doing your research and where this is coming from, what you're learning. We have about a minute, but we'll be able to continue on. I want people to know that you're dealing with real people, not mice. And I'm really uh, interested, too, when you tell us about our research, your research in a minute, who is funding this? I know this is not a cheap thing to do. It's kind of expensive. Have you heard of the ERAS Society? It stands for Enhanced Recovery After Surgery, and it gives you the protocols for good nutrition, a major factor in good recovery before, during, and after surgery. Outcome studies reveal that a carbonated drink two hours before surgery reduces insulin resistance and muscle loss. Nutritional supplements five days before offers better recovery. There are formulated products made especially for those undergoing surgical procedures. Find the guidelines to discuss with your surgeon at eras.org. Um, I, I have this view of the world because I meet a lot of scientists and I'm not one. And in my world, money never came from grants. You were never dependent on it. So I want to know about that, too. I'm very uh, fascinated by it. We'll be right back. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy. And I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it, 
And we are here with assistant professor over at University of California, Riverside, uh, Dr. Rachel Wu. Now, uh, Dr. Wu, when we, let's say, ended our segment last time, there were two things that were on my mind. One was exactly how you're doing your research into learning how to learn. And for those of you just tuning in, uh, Dr. Wu has had uh, many, many uh, years of experience and research in the field of learning. Right now, OPAL is the name of her project, Optimizing the Potential for Adult Learning. And I was also interested not only in how you're doing the research, but how it's being paid for. Uh, We have so many doctors and so many clinicians and researchers on the show, and it's not easy. And yet there seems to be an opportunity for this right now. So first, how are you doing your research? It's fascinating. Yeah, so we are uh, going out into the community to ask people if they want to join our research project. So it's all on a volunteer basis in a way, even though we um, pay the participants, you know, for for doing the project. Um, And we, you know, just recruit as many people as we can. Um, And what we're asking them to do is take three new, uh, take classes, learn three new skills at the same time. Uh, which is very challenging. So we, um, you know, preemptively tell them it's, it is a very challenging thing. So you want to, you know, um, uh, just be, you know, aware of that. And um, and we tell them it's about 15 to 20 hours a week of work, uh, kind of like a, you know, like a full-time student in a way. And um, and then they, uh, they do the classes and we uh, measure their cognitive abilities and other uh, kinds of questionnaires that we give them. Uh, throughout the whole program, and then we follow them up um, up to a year, year and a half. Now, do they get to pick their tasks and what they learn, or do you have a roster of things that they're going to learn? So they um, are not really allowed to pick what they learn because scientifically what we want to do is show that it's not just, oh, people who like drawing that actually improve their cognitive abilities or something like that, right? There's nothing – it's not that these – you know, there's something special about people who just like drawing – um, so it's not like a self-selective sample. What we're saying is um, we're getting them to learn things that they actually many times don't want to learn, um, and then sometimes they're just kind of, you know, like, okay, yeah, whatever, I'm not really that interested, but, you know, I could I could learn it. And sometimes they are actually genuinely interested in it. Um, but what we find, though, is even if they're really not interested in it and maybe really even hate it <laughs> um, from the beginning, they might actually find that that's the coolest thing ever, you know, at the end. And this happened especially with painting. Um, And so some of the participants by the end said, this is amazing. I, you know, and they started getting commissions or they started getting paid for their paintings and things like that. So um, it it was a real transformation within the 12 weeks. So so it's 12 weeks. um, And what's the age range of the folks in your program right now? So uh, we say 60 to, um, you know, there's no real upper limit. You just have to um, be able to, you know, drive yourself or get yourself um, to the the program. So it's on, you know, campus. So, um, yeah, so the oldest person in our um, group was 86. Um, and, And some people, you know, will Uber over or, you know, take a lift or something like that. Now, all of these things are cognitive. They're not learning physical skills. So painting is one of them. Is there another one or two you can tell us uh, what they're learning? Yeah, so the first group learned uh, painting, how to use an iPad, um, and other kind of tech-related uh, skills. 
um, and uh, Spanish. And so the second group had more classes because we had more people, so we had to keep the um, um, the class sizes, you know, kind of small. Um, so they had um, how to use an iPad, drawing, um, Spanish, and music composition and photography. My and goodness. And so the next round, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah go ahead. I want to hear this. I want to oh. be in the next round. I'm just not close yeah, enough to you to Uber over. Go ahead. Yeah. The next round is um, going to be acting, singing, Spanish, German, um, and uh, drawing. You know, I'm crying. Oh, Imagine being paid for 12 weeks, 12 weeks of all those courses, being paid for it. <laughs> so most of us are paying to take those courses. That's fantastic. And, and what you are studying is how are they learning and what can improve that learning. Uh, I'll take a minute here to say that one of the issues for older adults is, of course, uh, competency, computer competency, uh, learning to use the iPad. There are so many uh, people in the field of what they call age tech, uh, spitting blood, basically, to have people feel that they can, they can conquer the computer and have faith in themselves and use it to ward off isolation. So all of what you're finding has so many permutations and, and tentacles to it in addition to learning uh, because if, if we can make it easy to learn the iPad and other computer skills, we can help a lot with social isolation, and that makes us happier. So let's hear a little bit about the latest happiness study called the U-Bend. The U-Bend is back in the news. That's the graphic which shows that the nadir of our happiness is in our 40s and 50s when it begins to rise and happiness quotients continue to rise as we age. A study of 1,500 adults aged 21 to 100 revealed the paradoxical trend that mental health and happiness improves with aging. Of course, we are culturally programmed to believe just the opposite. As shown in a study conducted by the Sanford School of Public Policy, which revealed that both 30-year-olds and 70-year-old participants said that the 30-year-olds must be happier. But when asked questions, the answers showed just the opposite. Why so? Financial security, more leisure time, the ability to pursue life purpose, less stress are all contributing factors to happiness or life satisfaction. And all of these factors improve with age. Yeah, I really applaud that one. So, so let's go back here. Now, now, Dr. Wu, all these things are of a piece. Our happiness, our ability to learn, our cognitive fitness. And I do want uh, everyone to know that there's a website that Dr. Wu uh, wanted everybody to know about that has a lot of articles from everything from newspapers to a more scholarly journals, and that's Cal Labs, C-A-L-L-A Lab, C-A-L-L-A-L-A-B.com. And we'll also have that, for those of you who couldn't take it down, archived on our website, which is, of course, generationboldradio.com. It's also where you can go to, uh, to hear all of our archives over all the years. Uh, and you can put your name in there, your email in there, and you will get a weekly report of what's coming up next in our blog, Aging for Beginners, what's coming up next on our radio shows and podcasts, and hints and tips for what's going on in the world of aging, successful aging. So let's go back, Dr. Wu. Speaking of successful aging, uh, you, you have already three 
incarnations of your opal study, which means you've seen a lot of people from the ages of 60 to 86. Who shows up to this, aside from the fact that they are kind of local and they, they and mobile and they can get there? But what's the personality profile of people who want to learn? So they tend to be people who um, are committed to, you know, staying at least physically and cognitively fit, you know, to some degree, right? Um, they are maybe sometimes a little worried about, you know, um, how they're doing cognitively. They, they might just be looking for new friends. They might, uh, some people told us, you know, we're just doing this for the money, <laughs> which is fine too. Right. Um, Understood. So there's a range of, exactly, there's a big range of um, uh, people. And, and uh, we want actually that big range because we don't want just people who are so highly motivated that, you know, uh, because that, that's, not how, um, that, that's not how the general population is. So we want to have a range that we could, um, you know, make the results a little bit more applicable to everyone. You know, these triggers of, I call them triggers of activity, the things that make people do things, not just learning, but whatever. Uh, You know, that to me is an amazing and a very important, honestly, byproduct of your study, because we are having a lot of trouble in the field of behavioral health. I was at a conference called Metabesity, and that's a, a, a diabetes and food nutrition not only the drugs for it, but the lifestyles. And we kind of know what to do. Let's face it. We kind of know what to do to be healthier longer. And the problem is we don't do it. Some of us are highly motivated. I call that the positive deviant. And I'm personally looking and doing some research on that. But what Dr. Wu is uncovering uh, by design, actually, of her project is not just the highly motivated person, but a variety of motivations that help people get out of their comfort zone, which you can be killed in the comfort zone. So we come back. I want to take a deeper dive into those motivations and what we're learning as you study learning how to learn. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate. For my age, da 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 da, da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit, cause I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate. For my age, da 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 da. And hello, 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 this is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bowl, the Fountain of Truth, a show about aging. For all the ages. And I send everybody to generationboldradio.com. All you have to do is give us your email and we will send you our weekly reports on new and latest things that are going in the field of successful aging from your beauty to your sexuality to conferences coming up. And of course, we will give you a heads up on the next blogs and the next podcasts and exactly where to find them and our wonderful new store with my hand-selected items. Now, right now, we are speaking to Dr. Rachel Wu, and she is assistant professor over at the University of California at Riverside. She is a long-term toiler in the field of learning to learn, and right now, her project, fortunate for us, focuses on older adult learning. It's called OPAL, Optimizing the Potential for Adult Learning. So one of the things that Dr. Wu said to me during our little break was she wanted to comment on the happiness study 
that says that uh, we, as we get older, reach a peak of happiness and we can be happier than, than younger adults. She, she really wanted to connect that with happiness and learning. So take it away, Dr. Wu. Sure, thanks. Yeah, so the idea is that when we're learning, um, learning is inherently a, a very frustrating um, you know, activity, right? So if you're not actually frustrated and making a lot of mistakes, then you're not really learning that much, right? So it's a very frustrating activity. And so if we're prioritizing happiness in the short term, then uh, we're actually probably not learning very much. But um, what happens is, like with kids, you know, who want to just play, you know, in recess, you know, all day, um, they, we, there are structures in place to make them learn so that they don't fall behind and things like that. And so uh, what ends up happening is then they're happier in the long term because then they're able to, um, you know, keep up and adapt and, you know, um, you know, move on from grade to grade. So, um, so with uh, older adults, you know, like at any age in the lifespan, if we're prioritizing happiness in the long term, then we also have to be maybe sacrificing happiness in the short term because we would be learning and um, engaging in frustrating activities, things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy for us as older to give ourselves a pass. We're too old, we can't learn it, and therefore we can take the edge off any discomfort it takes in getting out of our comfort zone. tell you a very quick story. Uh, I have quoted Dr. Wu in a study, uh, and her study in uh, one of my blogs. And that blog is about learning skills. So what I did was I wanted to learn how to do a hula hoop because my my personal trainer told me to. And this was a physical thing to learn, not a, uh, a cognitive thing to learn. And when I was a kid, I couldn't do it. Everybody did hula hoops. I couldn't do it. I gave up. I gave up very fast. Now, as an older adult, I have a little bit of wisdom. And I learned that it's not pleasant. But from a long-term goal of successful aging, it was really worth doing. And this is the same with entrepreneurs. We have a lot of late-life entrepreneurs. Most entrepreneurs are, uh, who are successful start their business over the age of 50. What's the difference between them and the young people? Well, they know that they have to suffer a little bit for glamour, as my Aunt Rose used to say. You've got to suffer for glamour. You've got to suffer for learning a little bit, too, and then it makes you happier. So, so let's go back, Dr. Wu. With, um, with all that you are learning about learning, What's the next steps for the project, or is there another project on the horizon? What are you planning to do with this incredibly important uh, and significant information? Well, we just got um, a heap of funding from the National Science Foundation to continue this project for another five years. Um, so we're really um, happy and, and grateful for um, that funding. And so what we're doing is um, both including more participants in the study to see how generalizable are our are findings uh, from before, and um, also who would this intervention most benefit? Would it be would it benefit the people who um, haven't had a lot of uh, formal education? Would it benefit people who uh, already have a PhD? Would it benefit um, lower uh, socioeconomic status um, uh, people of socio uh, lower socioeconomic status? Would it benefit uh, minorities more? You know, so we're we're trying to tease apart. Um, who this might benefit the most. Um, and, uh, and so it's really exciting because we have um, three uh, versions of this, um, this intervention that will be rolling out over the next five years. Yeah, I, I wish there was no competition who would benefit, but I, I know who would be top on my list. That would be everybody in the workforce that has to continually 
uh, continually retool themselves and get out of their comfort zone because of new technologies and changes and robotics and perhaps even change the whole complexion of, of the profession they think they're in. So, so for me, that goes across the age, the age uh, continuum. And the others are the older adults who didn't grow up with technology and are having such a difficult time, anybody believing in them and them believing in themselves. So th- those are my two candidates for, for who would benefit. <laughs> the workforce and, the, and the, uh, uh, the computer illiterate. I'm going to go say that's not a nice word, but that's what is often called in the field of age tech. And for you, I, I just know that you ought to be teaching other scientists how to get grants. That would be that would be the best thing that you could do. I don't know how you do it, but boy, you've got seven pages of grants you've had through the years. Um, now, I'm supposed to do uh, our store now, a little drop-in of our store, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, instead, I'm just going to tell everybody from the heart to go to generationboldradio.com. We are now, we're just about to add diabetic foods delivered to your home We've already uh, become a champion of walking for successful aging. I went from being a, what they call a cardiac cripple to be able to just the other day walk 25 miles, and I could do better than that. It can be done, but you have to put your mind to it and get out of your comfort zone, and so we're helping you out with Brazos Sticks. All you have to do is go to generationboldradio.com for all these wonderful services and products and discounts. And it's going to be something that is life-changing. That's my commitment. And my other commitment is to get people like you, Dr. Wu, on our show. People that nobody uh, listening now would have access to. To understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what the what the results are. So I thank you so much. Will you be on again? Would you uh, consent yeah, to be on you. again? That's yeah, wonderful. Be because I know, Yeah, because you're going to be continuing your project. You're going to be learning new things. There'll be more than just the six important things that you told us about, which I want to remind everybody has to do with surrounding yourself with the right people, having faith in yourself, being willing to get out of your own comfort zone, uh, which is so important, not getting killed in the comfort zone, and you know, and getting help and getting help. And that's what we say every week. Get out there, kids, and make it happen. I'm in a program. 